Last year, I started to take serious working out. I had gained the COVID-15, and uh, my kids started nicknaming uh, me Santa, so I knew there was something that had to happen. I literally, I walk into Lulu's, I grab me some yoga pants, some uh, matching top, I get some ons, and uh, I, now I needed supplements, because that's what's next. I go to Vitamin Shoppy and uh, I, get, uh, I get protein, I get creatine, I get uh, pre-workout vein pop, <laughs> uh, I get fish oil, okay, I get fish oil. Now I need a app, I gotta have a fitness app, I search diligently and I find one called FitBod and I'm like, oh baby. Here comes Fit Todd, here we go, here we go. Uh, man, I, I just, I literally, I lacked one thing, discipline. Turns out it takes a ton of discipline to get in shape and it takes even more discipline to stay in shape. And some of you are really disciplined at working out. You go to the gym, you wanna look great, you live off kale and quinoa. Some of you, you're disciplined at other things. Some of you, you're disciplined at school. Like you've never made below a B, you wanna get in the great master's program, you're like first name basis with the librarian and, and, and you say no to a ton of stuff because you're always in the books. Some of you, some of you are disciplined in growing your social media. You know the perfect spot to snap the latte you know, post it, grow your content, and watch your, uh, your followers grow. But you know, God says there's something that's more important to be disciplined in than exercise, than school, than social media. He says with the same energy you put into those things, you also need to put into your spiritual life, growing in knowing him and becoming like him. I mean, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, who wrote 13 books in the New Testament, he mentors Timothy for 14 years. He looks at Timothy and he says this in 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. With the same grit, time management, and attention that you put into your exercise, your school, your social media, that same idea, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. These two men were instrumental in writing the Bible. You would think if anybody could coast, it was them. But Paul says, no, Timothy, it's grit, it's hard work. It's doing things that are gonna make you better that right now you might not be that excited about. But you know, Paul, he didn't speak English, he spoke Greek. And so when he's writing Timothy and telling him, discipline yourself for godliness, he doesn't use our English word discipline. He uses the Greek word discipline. And when I tell you the Greek word discipline, you're actually gonna know it, you're gonna be familiar with it, and you're gonna see where it comes from. Instead of using the word discipline, Paul uses the word gymnazo, gymnazo. That's where we get the word gym. He literally is telling Timothy, just like when you go to the gym and you are already expecting, this is gonna, this is gonna be sweat, exertion, working hard, doing things that I'm not excited to do right now because I know it's gonna make me a better person. That same word, gymnazo, he says, Timothy, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you're anchored in God's word and prayer, it's gonna be like going to the gym. It's gonna be sweat. It's gonna be hard work. But the payoff, the payoff is you're gonna grow in godliness. Now do not be confused in why we are pursuing godliness. Do not be, do not be confused on why we are pursuing these disciplines. We're not pursuing discipline to earn our salvation. We're not reading the Bible and praying to earn our salvation. Okay, Christ's work on the cross is done. 
And if you're a Christ follower, it has already been accomplished. You, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. You cannot earn your salvation. Effort comes when it comes to growing to be like him and obeying him. God is not opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning. God is not opposed to effort. It is difficult to read the Bible and pray when our flesh wants to do other things. He is not opposed to effort, but he is opposed to earning. Man, why do I need to be disciplined? Why do I need to pursue these things? Well, I mean, think for a second back to our physical exercise example. Why do people physically exercise? People physically exercise because they want to be physically healthy. They want to do the things they want to be able to do. They eat so much junk, they need, they need to hit the treadmill. In the same way, we need to be spiritually disciplined. Why? Well, we want to be spiritually healthy. We want to do the things God has for us to do. We're consumed with the junk of the world, bad habits, temptations, tendencies within us. Literally, it's going to take effort. It's going to take effort. For me, man, I thought, I thought if I prayed a 30-second prayer out loud, that was kind of my fire insurance. You know, I thought Jesus was my fire insurance. I, I had him, you know, he was my afterlife safety net. If I pray a prayer for 30 seconds or so, then that's going to mean I don't go to hell. Now I try to do the best I can. I, I go to church more. I sin less. I definitely don't listen to Nicki Minaj. That was like my whole perspective, you know? I had no idea the goal of the Christian life is not heaven. Like, that's not the goal of the Christian life. The Bible is actually not too concerned with that. The goal of the Christian life is knowing and obeying God. That's what he's interested in. Knowing and obeying him. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like, man, I've compartmentalized Jesus to the afterlife, and now I'm just trying to do the best I can. Remember, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The goal is knowing and obeying him. Now listen, the two biggest areas that Christians need to go to the gym on, the two biggest areas is reading the Bible and praying. Reading the Bible, that's us hearing from God, and then praying, that's us speaking to God. And tonight, I just want to look at three truths of each. We're going to look at three truths on reading our Bible and the Bible, the Word of God, and we're going to look at three truths on prayer. So let's start with the three truths on reading the Bible. Truth number one, there is no book like the Bible. It is unique in a category all to itself. There is no book like the Bible. I needed a new appreciation for the Bible because growing up, I saw a big one underneath our coffee table. By the time I was 16, I think I could find five or six in our house, no one ever opened it. No one ever mentioned it. No one ever read it. And maybe you too need a new appreciation for the Bible because I guarantee there is no book like it. Do you realize the Bible is the most read book in the world? The Bible is the most sold book in the world. The Bible is the most stolen book in the world. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years on three continents in three languages by 40 authors, and yet it talks about sin, salvation, God's purpose and God's will and a seamless story that begins in a garden in Genesis 1 and ends in a city in Revelation. It is the most translated book in the world. 3,350 languages have it 
in their language. I mean, just to understand how unbelievable that stat is. Just to understand that 3,350 languages have it, you got to look at second place. Well, what's second place? I mean, second place? Let me tell you about second place. Okay? Here's second place. Adventures of Pinocchio. 260 languages. And the Adventures of Pinocchio is only 200 pages. There is nothing that comes close. In the 1700s, there was a French philosopher who was atheistic. His name was Voltaire. And, 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 and Voltaire thought Christianity was an ignorant superstition. In 1775, Voltaire bravely declares this. 100 years from now, there will not be a Bible on the earth. 100 years later, Voltaire was dead. And the Bible Society of Switzerland bought his house and made it a Bible printing press <laughs> for all of Europe. There is no book close. We call the Bible God's word. Maybe you're like, why do you call it God's word? Because it's literally God's spoken word to us in a book. And when God speaks, you need to be prepared for things to happen. Like when God speaks, I mean, Genesis 1, we see a glimpse of God speaking. And like things are, are emerged out of nothing. Genesis 1, verse 3, and God spoke. He said, let there be light. And it was so. Genesis 1, 9, and God spoke. Let the water and ground appear. And it was so. Genesis 1, 16, and God spoke. Let there be stars. And it was so. He literally breathes out the stars. When he created the world, he did it by speaking. And one of the primary ways that he communicates to you and me is by speaking inside a book that we hold on our laps. The star-breathing God, just like he breathed out the universe, he breathes out words to us. And we hold them, and we have them, and we read them, and we are changed. This is what Paul's trying to, trying to show us when he uses the words in 2 Timothy 3.16 to describe the power of this. He takes us back to remember when God breathed out the stars? 2 Timothy 3.16, in the same way, all scripture is God breathed. Just like in Genesis 1 when he spoke and created the universe. He has spoken and given you this. Well, why did he give me this? Well, he tells us. It's, it's useful, it's profitable. For, for what? For teaching, I need that. For reproof, I need that. Correction, oh man. Training in righteousness, I need it. That I can be equipped to do all that he has for me. Why does he do this? Because he wants to speak to you. Man, I have a 15-year-old daughter, okay? And that girl, we are now at the age of get the permit. Do you remember that age? You have to go to the DMV and you take a test and hopefully it allows you to drive with your parents, okay? Man, I mean, she was so excited. She was, she was determined to do it herself, though. I'll tell you that. I mean, she, I'm like, how's it going, Camden? Oh, man, I watched some YouTube videos on driving. I'm like, how's it going, Camden? Oh, I took a practice test online. Every now and then, she would ask me a question. Dad, what do you do at a yellow light? Floor it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not excited about her passing. Dad, how do you parallel park? 
Never tried it. <laughs> the day came. She goes, to the, she goes to the DMV. She comes out. She failed. I was like, you failed? She's like, I failed. I'm like, how did you fail? Like you watched the YouTube videos. Like you took the practice test. She's like, well, Dad, they just kept asking me, did I read the book they gave me? I said, they have a book? She said, yeah, they gave me a book like a month ago. I told them I had the book, but I didn't read the book. And they said to me, oh, everything you need to learn to, to drive, there's a book. Did you know there's a book on how to drive? We bought a dishwasher. Guess what it came with? A book. How to operate it. How to turn it on. I mean, literally, last week, last week, I'm cleaning out my office, end of the year, cleaning out my drawer. I see this uh, old directions for my AirPods. I've had them for a year. And I, I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to toss them. I to they're mid-flight, okay? Like, it, they're mid-flight to the trash can. And I think, man, I wonder if I would benefit from reading them. It lands in the trash can. I think there's probably no benefit. I think to myself, self, maybe there's a little bit of benefit. I pull the trash out. I'm like, what could I possibly learn from a three-page direction of AirPods? Well, I open them up. Did you know that there's a button on the end of that Q-tip looking thing? I had no idea. Did you know if you press the button twice quickly, it goes to the next song? Did you know that if you push it three times quickly, it goes backwards? I've had my AirPods for a year. And every time I wanted to change the song, I had to pull out my phone, phone from my pocket and change it manually like a boomer. <laughs> I was livid. I felt robbed. <laughs> when it comes to operating your life, God's given you a book. When it comes to operate your life, he's given you a book. Are you reading it? Those in here who've never read it, you think like I did. I'm fine. I'm great. Look at what's going on. You think you're living and operating fully. In reality, you are clueless to everything you're missing. He has given us a book. Are we reading it? Sermons, podcasts, other books about the Bible are helpful, but none come close to the power of God speaking in his word. Do not listen to sermons and podcasts more than you read the Bible. Do not listen to sermons and podcasts more than you read the Bible. There's no cheat code for reading the Bible. You got to read the Bible. And when, when the Bible talks about words like statutes, commands, precepts, it's talking about itself. So, so listen, when it says statutes, precepts, commands, that's the Bible talking about itself. Listen to how the Bible talks about the Bible Listen to what the Bible says about the Bible. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Just stop right there. I can't trust the internet. I can't trust my professors. I can't trust my parents. And I definitely can't trust my own self and desires. But God says, this book is trustworthy. Do you want to know about your past, your present, your future? This is trustworthy. 
Keep reading. Verse 7. It keeps going. Making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. What's that mean? Well, I'm a simple person. I didn't learn how to divide till I was 10. I took Spanish 1 twice. Okay? You know how embarrassing that is? To take it dose? Like... <laughs> The Bible makes wise the simple. Think about that. Think about that. How do I handle anxiety? How do I handle relationships? How do I handle, how do I handle money? These are some of the most difficult questions you could ask. And it says, it's going to make me wise. The next verse. The, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Your fraternity, sorority... Friends, see you reading the Bible, oh, that's killjoy, restrictive, that's boring. But guess who's waking up Friday morning full of regrets and scars? The Bible promises me it wants to bring me true joy. Verse 8 continues, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. What do I look for in a spouse? I don't know. What's God's purpose? I don't know. What's God's will for my life? I don't know. Oh my gosh. I do know. I do, I do. Maybe you're in here and you're like skeptical. Maybe you're like, man, I, it's hard, it's hard, Todd. Like I, I really think the Bible is just full of myths and fables. And definitely not something to be read and taken seriously. And I, I want to say, I, I hear you. And, and, and I understand. And I'm also going to say, there's someone else who had those same, they had those same doubts. But this person is way smarter than me. See, this person was the chair of the literature department for Oxford University before he was a Christ follower. He was the best in the world when it came to literature. His name was C.S. Lewis. And here's what he says about the uniqueness of the Bible. I have been reading poems and romances and vision literature and legends and myths all my life. I, I know what, what they are like. I know none like this. There is no book like the Bible. Truth number two, reading it is not enough. Reading it is not enough. The goal is not reading the Bible. I'm going to get through it in a year. That's not the goal. The goal is reading and applying the Bible. I remember I was meeting with this guy for... Um, for a few months, and, and I, I noticed every time I'd tell him, hey, uh, let's memorize this verse, he'd never memorize it. I'd say, hey, here's some issues I think you're dealing with that maybe we need to talk about. He just kind of kept pushing away. I'd say, hey, meet me here at this restaurant, and we're going to share our faith with this guy. And he would, never, he would never show up. So after a few months, I told him, I was like, hey, man, I think we're kind of done reading the Bible together. And he's like, oh, my gosh, why? I'm learning so much. And I said, yeah, you're just becoming a smarter sinner. Like, you're just, be, my goal is not to create smarter sinners. The goal is not to read the Bible. The goal is to read and apply the Bible. And Jesus says the same thing in John 5. You diligently, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's not about reading the Bible. It's about a relationship with the God of the Bible. That's what it's about. It's not about getting your chapters in today. It's about a relationship and applying what you're reading. We were asked to speak at Yale University, and uh, when we got to campus, they told us, hey, man, there's only about 40 Christ followers on campus, so it's going to be a real small meeting. Well, my wife and I, we got to the meeting early. We go over to the student union. I'm sitting at the coffee shop, and I look over, I look over and I see, I see, like I see a guy reading the Bible. And I look up at my wife, I'm like, babeskis, babeskis, you know, come over here. 
I found one of the 40. She's like, what? I'm like, I found one of the 40. She's like, what? I found one of the 40. I walk over to the guy. I'm literally like hovering over him. My shadow is now on his Bible. He turns and I'm like, oh my gosh. how long have you been a Christ follower? And he's like, what? I said, how long have you been a Christ follower? He's like, I'm not. I'm like, oh, I saw you reading the Bible. He's like, I know, I'm getting my PhD in the New Testament, but I don't believe any of it. He knew the Bible better than anyone I had ever met. And he owned a Bible, but the Bible didn't own him. Knowing the Bible is different. It's different than knowing the God of the Bible. Knowing the Bible is different than knowing the God of the Bible. If you got 10 minutes to read the Bible, spend six minutes reading it and spend four minutes trying to figure out how to apply what you read. If you have 10 minutes to read the Bible, Spend six minutes reading it and spend four minutes trying to apply what you read. Again, it's not about, I got my three chapters a day in. No. I mean, think about the people we pay to see in concert. We pay big money to see people in concert. Harry Styles, Ariana Grande, Nickelback. I mean, who do we, think about who we pay to see in concert. I mean, I think I I looked and there's a, Eight billion people on planet Earth, and every one of them are in front of me in the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster queue. (laughs) But guess what? These people, I pay to see them, I follow them. They don't care about me. They don't want to know me. They're not interested in who I am. If I send a message to Taylor Swift, hey, Taylor Swift, I heart you. Todd Aaron here, big fan, working out. Uh, hey, listen, can you get me tickets to your concert? She will never respond. <laughs> she won't. There is a 0.0 with the rim kicked off chance that she's going to respond. And, and imagine if she, just, if she just liked my post. Oh my gosh. I'm like screenshotting that, snapping that. I mean, that's why my, I was under my pillow. I mean, even if she just liked it. Are you ready for this? The God of the universe who created you and who you are only fully satisfied when you're satisfied in him. He wants to get to know you. He desires to spend time with you. He's given you a book to know him. We are the ones who are distant and saying no thanks. Think about that. Truth number three when it comes to the Bible The Bible is our sword for survival. It's our sword for survival. The Bible is our sword for survival. I mean, I love, I love the movies of like the battlefield movies, Gladiator, Braveheart, you know. This last Thanksgiving, I was doing my normal Braveheart binge on Thanksgiving. And like, I've seen it, it's like the battlefield, like the camera like pans, the camera like pans the battlefield. And you see like all these men getting ready for battle and you see like the horses and like the camera just says like, I see, I see sword, shield, sword, shield, sword, shield, sword, shield, flag, kilt. And I'm like, wait, there's a guy holding a flag. And I'm thinking to myself, you're going to run, this is not NASCAR, you're going to run into battle and you lose the flag and get a sword. We have an enemy and his one goal is to devour us. And some of us are standing on the battlefield with nothing in our hands. Do you know the Bible describes itself as a sword? Ephesians 6, it does it on purpose. Ephesians 6, 17, take the sword of the spirit, 
which is the word of God. The Bible is our sword for survival. When I first became a Christ follower, I got a Bible and I opened it up to the front page and I wrote this. Sin will keep me from the Bible, or the Bible will keep me from sin. I wrote that. Sin will keep me from the Bible, or the Bible will keep me from sin. And man, it's been true even to today. When I'm living in sin, the last thing I want to do is run to the Bible. That's the last thing I want to do. But when I'm in the Bible, the last thing I want to do is run to sin. This is the tool that will help you when temptation and tendencies and the world and bad habits emerge. Jesus, when he begins his ministry, he goes into the desert for 40 days. The enemy Satan comes and he starts to tempt him. And he gives him three back-to-back temptations rather quickly. He gives him three temptations rather quickly. The first temptation in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What does Jesus do? He quotes the Old Testament. Jesus quotes the Old Testament. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from his mouth. The second temptation comes quickly after. Satan comes to him and says, I'll throw yourself down from the temple and show everyone you're the son of God right now. What does he do? He quotes from the Old Testament. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation. Satan comes to him. Again, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you if you bow down. Again, he quotes from the Old Testament. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is called the living word. And when the living word was tempted, he quoted the written word. If the living word needed the written word, how much more you and I? If the living word needed the written word, how much more do you and I? Are you dealing with anxiety? Man, memorize a verse verse on not being anxious. Are you dealing with lust? See what the Bible says about purity and the benefits. Are you dealing with who you are and image management? Man, read read about what the Bible says of who you are in Christ. And maybe you're in here and you've never even opened the Bible. You don't even know where to start. Let me encourage you. One of the best places, if you're new to this, one of the best places to start is in the New Testament, in the book of Mark. 16 chapters, a quick overview on the life of Christ. And then after you've read those 16 chapters, head to Genesis and read Genesis. And then come back and read Acts. And then go from there. Remember our first verse we talked about. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The Bible is how we hear from God and how we fight. But prayer is how we speak to God. Now, prayer, for a lot of people, they think, oh, prayer, that's like shaving your head, joining a monastery, and mumbling. No. Prayer is just wherever you're at. You have the freedom and privilege to speak to the, to, to the God of the universe. The star-breathing God invites us into speaking to him, yet we don't. Why? Why are we not people of prayer? Because it is opposite of the American way. I mean, the American way, I got this, I can handle this, I don't need your help. And what does prayer say? Oh, Lord, I can't do this without you. Simply put, we are not prayerful because we are prideful. 
we are not prayerful because at the heart of it, we are just prideful. Do you realize in a recent Pew study, they found that 25% of Christ following university students pray at least once a week. 25% of Christ following university students pray at least once a week. That means 75% never pray. 75% never pray. And so just like we did on three truths of the Bible, let's just look at three truths to prayer that we might leave here thinking, I need to be a person who prays. So the first truth of prayer, the first truth of prayer is this. Prayer is about our relationship with God. Prayer is about our relationship with God. That's what it's about. It's about our relationship with God. Most Christians, they view prayer like, oh man, if I put in the time and ask for something, you have to reciprocate. And if I put in the time and ask for something and you don't reciprocate, I throw my hands in the air and say it's unfair. That's, uh, that's not a relationship. That's a contract. And God is not interested in contract Christianity. Most people pray as if they're just telling God what to do. God doesn't serve you. He's not interested in contract Christianity. He's interested in a relationship. I just, I read a story last week about a woman in Brazil who for 20 years had been praying to a statue of a saint. 20 years. Her granddaughter comes in sees her praying, looks at what she's praying to, and says, oh, Nana, that's not a, a, a saint. That's a Lord of the Rings action figurine. Like for 20, we don't pray to an action figure. We don't pray to an idol. We have the privilege of praying to the star-breathing God. And guess what? He hears you when you pray. Psalm 116, I love the Lord. He hears my voice. When the words leave your lips, they go straight to God's ear. When the words leave your lips, they go straight to God's ear. Relationships, they take communication. They do. I mean, if I didn't talk to my wife for two weeks, that's a problem. We're going to need, like, marriage counseling stat. Like, relationships take communication. And you think about the disciples. I mean, they watched Jesus. The disciples were Jews. They were not foreigners to prayer. They prayed. But when they saw Jesus pray during three years of the ministry that they walked with him, they're like, man, when you pray, something is just different. Like, things change God moves. And you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can see only one time does, does the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. It only happens once. Now, for me, if I had one shot of Jesus teaching me something, I'd be like, hey, man, show me how to, like, walk on water. You know, help me calm the storm. Help me with my riz. Like, I need help, right? Like, give me something. Guess what? One time the disciples approached Jesus and asked him to teach them something. Lord, Luke 11, 1. That's it. Like, why? Pray? Lord, teach us to pray? Why? Because they knew how important it is and what a privilege it was. Now, for the disciples, every Old Testament prayer started the same way. Every Old Testament prayer started with Lord or Lord Almighty. So when Jesus responds by saying, oh, you want to learn how to pray, I'll teach you to pray. They grab their scroll, they write down, they write, they write down, they write down, okay, you're going to teach us to pray? Okay, they write down, Lord
and, and listen to what Jesus says. Next verse. When you pray, say this. Our Father. They were shocked. No Old Testament prayer would have that audacity to begin like that. What? Father? Are we even allowed to? He changed our whole paradigm of relating to God. He changed our whole understanding. He showed us what a privilege of how we now can... Father? Father. I mean, I have so many kids. I have so many kids. Oh, my gosh. I've probably had another kid since I've been here, okay? I don't even know. I have so many kids. When we pull in Chick-fil-A, I'm like, catering menu. He's like, party of 27. I'm like, Aaron family. He's like, here you go. I have so many kids. Like, we could have a basketball team and, like, have subs, okay? Like, no joke. For Christmas, we got the whole family and acted out the entire nativity scene, and we, like, had all the car parts covered. We had so many parts, my wife was the star, okay? Like, that's how we're like, we need more, I'll be the star, okay? I was like the donkey, okay? Not fun, not fun. And, you know, it is so fun to give my kids gifts. Like, for Christmas, oh my gosh, for Christmas, I've got a, I've got a son, and he's into creating YouTube videos. And just a few weeks ago to watch him open his box, and he's got this new light, new mic. I'm like, yes, that brought me so much joy. Like I said, I have a 15-year-old daughter. You know, she's starting to notice boys. It brought me so much joy to get her a book on the gifts of singleness. <laughs> like, so fun. Here, here. I'm a, I'm a fallen father. Think about that. And I love giving good gifts. How much more? Your perfect father in heaven wants to give you everything you need for godliness and ministry if you ask. If you ask. Listen to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 verse 9. What man is there who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Uh, there's not. Or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake? There's not. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts and think those two questions are crazy, how much more? Your Father in heaven wants to give you good things if you ask. I have four sons. If one of them asked me for food, nowhere in my mind would I hand him a rock and laugh. <laughs> I have four sons. If one of them asked me for fish, there's no way I would give him a snake. I would never give him a snake. It's not even like, it's not even, it's never, I'll be honest, it's never even crossed my mind. And God's like, how much more if you're a fallen father and that doesn't even cross your mind, does a perfect father desire to give all you need for godliness and ministry to those who ask? But what breaks my heart the most is when I come home and I'm like, kids, let's go do this. And they'd rather play Minecraft than spend time with their father. They'd rather, do, they'd rather do chores than spend time with their father. Like, it's been like that. Nothing hurts worse. Nothing hurts worse. Prayer, man, it's about a relationship. Truth number two when it comes to prayer, prayer is more powerful than we can imagine. Prayer is more powerful than we can imagine. If you're not careful, you'll treat prayer like room service on a cruise ship. Uh, I need a refill and an A. Prayer is not room service on a cruise ship. It's a walkie-talkie on the battlefield. And I, I have to ask, are we calling in refills or revival? Are we calling in refills or revival? I mean, for the, for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, Rain equaled life. Like literally in the Old Testament, rain equaled life. Why? Well, Egypt had the, had the Nile River to water all its crops. 
Babylon had the Euphrates River to water all its crops. Israel did not have a river capable of watering their crops. They needed rain. Rain meant survival. But they were going after idols. They were chasing other gods. And a man named Elijah wanted to see them repent and come back to the true God. So he did something shocking. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. Get their attention, God. And God responded. God responded. The story is told in 1 Kings in real time. But in the New Testament, in the book of James, he actually retells it to us. And here's what he says in James 5.17. He says this. Elijah, in 1 Kings, remember that story? He prayed earnestly that it would not pray, that it would not rain. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Now, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, but that was Elijah. He was a prophet. That was like, you know, 2,000 years ago. That was, he, I'm not Elijah. I mean, I'm high maintenance, self-absorbed. I have a watermelon tattoo on my upper thigh. Like, God's not going to, he's like not going to answer me. Like, there's no way that he's going to answer me. James knows you're going to think that. He knows the reader's going to assume, well, I'm not Elijah. So guess how he starts this whole story? Same verse. Elijah was a man just like us. Don't think he was more spiritual. Don't think he was special. He was just like you, a doubter, an envier, someone who's angry, someone who lusts. Yet he prayed, and God responded. We are praying to the same God that Elijah prayed to. And what are we asking him? Is it just us telling him, like, what we want for our treasures? Are we saying, Lord, this is not for me. This is for the girls in my sorority, I beg you, do this. Break through. God, I beg you, break through this fraternity. This has nothing to do with me. I beg you. Do you believe that if you pray, he will give you victory over sin? He will. Do you believe that if you pray, people are going to come to Christ in your living group in the next month? They will. Do you believe that if you pray, that you, you want to leave a lasting legacy on your campus? He will. He wants to do even more than you can think to pray. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And to him who is able to do even far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory. There are things God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. There are things God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. I mean, 1800s Napoleon going through the islands of the Mediterranean, conquering island to island realizes the next island he's going to use, he's going to lose uh, th this bloody battle. It's going to be a fierce battle for this island. He ends up taking the island, but at the expense of several thousand men. As his generals are dining at the end of the battle, a, 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 a soldier comes approaching the tent with the generals and Napoleon, and he says to Napoleon, Napoleon, give me this island. The other generals start laughing. Who does he think he is? Why would he make that audacious claim? Napoleon actually summons for a pen, summons for a paper, and writes out the deed of the island and gives it to this soldier. The generals are shocked. Who is he that he would be granted such a claim? And Napoleon looks at his generals and says this, The reason 
I gave him the island was that I was honored by the magnitude of his request. The reason I gave him this island was because I was honored by the magnitude of his request. God is honored when you pray things and you're like, I just, Lord, this is gonna be you. This is you. This is you. Like, this is not, I can't do this. He is honored. And maybe right now you're like, man, my prayer, Todd, is just don't be awful today. And that's, that's fine. But as you grow in prayer, suddenly you start going, man, I move from, hey, Lord, don't make me awful today, to, hey, Lord, make me a light in my fraternity. Make me a light in my sorority. Then all of a sudden you're looking up after six months and you're like, Lord, I pray for every fraternity, every sorority, every living group, that they would have radical revival sweep across them. And you're like, oh, I don't even know who I am. Lord, I, I hope you're honored. Do it. This is, this is going to be you. He is honored. There are things that God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. I'll say it again. There are things that God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. He wants to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. Truth number three, under prayer, God changes hearts through prayer. God changes hearts through prayer. He does. When I first married Jess, my wife, after two years of being married to her, she says, hey, um, I have a heart for adoption. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love dogs. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 from China. I was like, let's get a Shih Tzu, that's even better. <laughs> she's like, no, 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 I have a heart to adopt from China a boy. And I mean, I was like, okay, Jess, I'm for adoption. It's just not for me. Okay, like I was afraid, risk averse, like no. So we have our first child, we have our second child, and we have our third child. And I mean, I'm like, I'm eating key lime pie just thinking, man, we, you know, this put it into the adoption conversation. Oh, no. No, not for my wife. No, no. We go on a date. She pulls out her Bible. It's got highlights in it. She's like, I just want to share with you some verses on God's heart for orphans. Then she takes out her phone and she's got photos of Nobel Peace Prize winners that were adopted. NBA players that were adopted. NFL players that were adopted. NHL players that were adopted. MLB players <laughs> that were adopted. College athletes that were adopted, refs that were adopted. <laughs> and I'm like, Jess, no, no, like, no, no. <laughs> and then we have baby number four and baby number five. Now I'm like, legally, we can't even get an SUV, okay? <laughs> so like, like, I drive a yellow school bus. It's okay, it's the short kind, but man, I like, <laughs> You know, I drive, a, I drive a yellow school bus, you know, and I'm proud of it. It's a badge of honor. But, uh, but, uh, but uh, now I'm like, okay, there's just no way. But you know what? She never stopped praying for me. And do you know what? God changing my heart for adoption became her number one prayer. Now... Let me just tell you, as the person prayed for, okay, like I'm coming at you from a different angle, I'm the person prayed for, okay? Let me just tell you this, I look back and I'm like, there was no like conversation, moment, I can't point to anything. All I know is one day I'm driving and I'm like, man, maybe risk is right. Maybe my fears are me-centered, hmm. I pull into uh, the, the adoption agency and I get the paper. I get, the, I get the, the papers. I go home. I'm like, Jess, Jess, listen, 
you have carried and birthed five children. I want this to be my pregnancy. <laughs> she wept. <laughs> and then I booked tickets for Beijing. And what a joy and an honor to have the privilege of a seven-year-old, wonderful Chinese boy who every morning calls me father. Wow. Only God can change hearts. You can't do that. Only God can change hearts. Do you want to see your, your friends come to Christ? Pray to the heart-changing God. Do you want to see your parents come to Christ? Change, pray to the heart-changing heart God. Ezekiel 36. You can't do this. God says, I will give a new heart. I will put a, a, a new spirit in you and will remove that heart of stone. Some of us are trying to lead our friends to Christ without ever praying to the heart-changing God. Some of us are wondering, what can I do to get my parents on board with my life and my ministry? And yet we never pray to the heart-changing God. There are things God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. There's things he will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. Remember the first verse we looked at, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes sweat, working hard, reading the Bible and praying. And when you're starting, you don't start by going to the gym and grabbing the 80-pound dumbbells. That's not your starting. Where do you start? You start by stretching, forearm twists, bands, okay? In the same way, don't say, oh, I've never done this before, but every day I'm going to read the Bible for 30 minutes a day. That would not be maybe the best place for a start with you. Maybe you start by saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible and pray for 20 minutes at least three days a week. At least three days a week. And during that 20 minutes, you spend 10 minutes reading the Bible. You spend five minutes trying to apply what you read. And you spend five minutes praying to the star-breathing God. Maybe during that 20 minutes, you spend 10 minutes reading the Bible, five minutes trying to apply what you read, and five minutes praying. But you have to start by starting. You have to start by starting. At our house, you know, Christmas, it's, it's up there. It's a big holiday. They love it, but I'll tell you what else. I mean, this is like a tight second. Like a tight second is Halloween. Oh, I, I love Halloween. I mean, I Google best neighborhoods for biggest candy. And then my kids come around and we vote what neighborhood we want to go to. We get family costumes like full on, my costume crushes. Every year I wrap myself up in tinfoil and go as a leftover. <laughs> but my favorite part, my favorite part of Halloween is the afternoon of. The afternoon of is my favorite part. We take our wagon, we take our six kids, and we walk to a pumpkin patch hills and all. <laughs> I spend a hundred dollars filling the wagon with pumpkins. Then I pull that wagon home, waiting all, and I do something incredibly risky. I give all six knives <laughs> and I say, have fun. Now, I'm standing there as a father, and I'm there making sure we don't do an ER visit, but I'm more there as a father because I want to be involved. I want to be involved. And so I, I go over to Noble, our Chinese boy, you know, and he, uh, little Mandarin tantrum, you know, he's, uh, he's not having it. He's not having it. I'm like, I'm like, son, can I help? Get away. I'm like, you want daddy's help? No. I'm like, can I help you? Leave. And I, you know, he's like, ha, you know. 
So I'm like, fine, forget it, you know. And I go over and I walk over to my six-year-old daughter, Quincy, blue eyes, you know, pigtails. Quincy, your father's here. Do you want some help? And she's like, yes. And I was like, what can we do together? She's like, dad, you know, if I draw, will you, will you cut? And I'm like, yes. And so we have this incredible father-daughter moment where like, like she's drawing and I'm cutting. And like it, it, at the end of the day, you know, she goes down to bed and I'm like, Quincy, look at what we did together. This is what Quincy and I created. This is what we created. Uh, this is what Noble did. The father was available to both. The father was available to both. One responded and one didn't. The God of the universe has spoken to you. And he is a good father who wants to give you everything for ministry and godliness. The question is, will you put in the work?